Hello and welcome to Safe Travels. I'm your host, Damien. The Safe Travels podcast is about finding expert advice for you so you can sit back, relax, and enjoy worry-free travel. Today we're speaking with a travel advisor about the benefits of planning travel with the assistance of an advisor. Our guest is Shai Bredewold, who is joining me from England. Shai shares a lot of information about how advisors can help. He shares some personal stories of mishaps he has experienced and more. The show is a bit longer than most Safe Travels episodes at about an hour, but it's a fun insight into the world of travel advisors. Show notes will be available. You can go to our Twitter feed at Safe Travels FM to find links to that. Please enjoy this discussion with Shai Bredewald from Odyssean Travel. Shai, thank you for joining us today. Yeah, thanks for thanks very much for having me. It's a pleasure to uh, meet up with you here digitally after some email exchanges. Absolutely. Would you mind introducing yourself? You can say a little bit about who you are, what you do, and your area of expertise. Yeah, uh, well, my name is Shaila Bredewald. It's a bit of a mouthful. I joke about this number of years now. Uh, my poor wife, she's new to the family, new with the uh, new last name that kind of welcomed her in with a joke. Like I said, uh, welcome to a lifetime of, of correcting people on the spelling at least. So yeah, Shaila Bredewald, if you, uh, you want to just call me Shy, that's probably the easiest way to get around. And you are a travel advisor, correct? I'm a travel advisor. Yep. I run Odyssean Travel. And again, it's another nice one. I like to joke. It's where the, the fun and adventure starts, just picking a pronunciation there. I took some um, inspiration from Greek poetry, the, the Odyssey and the Iliad. Hopefully all the positive aspects there of this great adventure, but looking at something, an adventure beyond regular measure. So Odyssean Travel started in 2016, just as advisor capacity. And I've kind of grown the team now to feature a number of specialists for different locations, different destinations and travel styles. And that I tend these days only to kind of tip my hat in on some of the luxury travel around South Florida, for example, or uh, cruise in particular. That's, that's quite a big specialty for myself and group travel. Uh, and I also own a, a partnership, a part owner of a partnership, again, in, in South Florida, serving tours, transportation, and some long weekend or pre and post cruise packages out of the Miami and Fort Lauderdale area. And how did this all start for you? How did you get into the line of work? Whenever I read these kind of, how did it all start? And I think every every advisor I've ever spoken to say, travel is always a passion of mine. And I kind of think that was probably true and I didn't realize it at the time. But it was as a younger man, I had this inspiration to just head out into the world and going a step beyond just just traveling, going off for a vacation, taking a holiday somewhere. I actually just up and left. I relocated myself. I became an expatriate. I'm originally from Canada, I left to Great Britain, and not long after, uh, joined the British Army. Spent uh, eight, almost eight years in the British Army. I uh, was an engineer and a linguist, so that was you know part of the uh, the inspiration there was to challenge myself with some local some local flair and, and dialects. I seemed to be pretty good at picking up German, for example. I was three and a half years based in Germany and I found myself based in a number of places around the planet, a couple of months at a time, maybe a couple of years at a time. And after I left the army, as everyone does, I ended up in China trying to pursue some more languages. So I studied in Chinese for almost a year and started a business there helping Chinese nationals kind of relocate themselves. So again, the, the children primarily, but basically they take their family and move to the United States. And that was the, the main audience at that time. Uh, and in the end, at the, the time that I left, I uh, looked back and realized I had been planning a lot to travel or engaging with people to help them gain a new perspective on the world and uh, try to make the world a better place for themselves and for others. That kind of really got me thinking about what would I best enjoy spending my time as a career? So around the 2015 point, I started Odyssean Travel. Sounds like kind of a slow process towards an end point. Yeah. Like I said, a lot of people say it's a you know passion for travel is the short answer. Um, but uh, the, the longer answer is a number of years of just enjoying the, the fruits, the transformative power of travel, they say. And just thinking the, the world needs the ability to have your eyes opened by visiting other people and just having that exposure that you can read about it in books, you can watch documentaries, but to be able to go somewhere and visit other people, see some wildlife, have your mind blown by a view to the horizon, that kind of thing. It's really nice not to just talk about, but it, to help other people gain that themselves. That's where it started. And we got in touch about uh, speaking about the benefits of using a travel advisor. A lot of people don't. And some of the benefits that are especially important now with coronavirus going on right now. 
I'll be honest, I'm I'm not a, a user of travel advisors. I'm always a do-it-yourself person, but I'm slowly being swayed on this topic. So I'd love to talk about some of those benefits that you have. Why is it especially important in general, but then now with coronavirus? Yeah, I think I, I pitched this when we were first chatting. I always position the services from the get-go, especially if people haven't have never used a travel advisor or maybe their parents had used it in decades past. And the, the gist of it is no one really needs a travel advisor. So you have to kind of want one. And as you may be seeing yourself, if you've never used one, like I said, you don't need to. You've got plenty of tools at your disposal, but where you might want one, especially in times of coronavirus, but even while things were going well six months ago, and as uh, we hope things return to a regular, not just a new normal, but a better normal, people may want the services of a travel advisor. So, for example, with relation to coronavirus specifically, one point of contact that's come up uh, time and again over the last few weeks and uh, now months as we're kind of dragging on to this COVID disruption. One point of contact in particular, complex itineraries. So if you're shopping online for a cruise, if you're trying to plan your honeymoon, if you're looking at even a, a road trip somewhere in the United States or visiting family in Europe, some extended family in Europe, and you want to make some extra stops there, the tools are at your disposal to plan these things. But you may start finding that um, you're shopping not just one, two, three, sometimes five or more suppliers. And those suppliers each have their own terms and conditions. They each have their own toll-free number. Some of them don't have a toll-free number, so you have to email them or even worse, they don't even have that. You have to go to a web portal and just fill out a form and wait for them to contact you. So there's one point of contact is proving to be quite quite a benefit that I've been hearing a lot from our own clientele and uh, the increased number of people who have been contacting myself or the business directly or just general chatter about what's happening with the world of travel. If you've got to change your flight plans, your cruise itinerary, maybe a couple of hotel stops before or after your cruise, for example, if the supplier that you've used is inundated with phone calls from all over the planet, other people trying to change their plans or seeing if they can enact a cancellation clause in their terms and conditions, whatever it might be, people are having to sit on hold for hours and hours and hours. And if you've got a business that they themselves have had to furlough some of their staff, they're less able to help. Or if you're having to stay on hold for two hours and then it goes past the amount of time that you have free, maybe you can't stay on hold any longer and it gets really frustrating and you don't necessarily get your problem solved and the person who answers the phone or answers replies to your email or comes to you in a chat forum each time you talk to that person it's like talking to somebody for the first time and they don't necessarily know anything about you or about how special your trip is uh, let alone even some of the, the the basic details of why you picked that hotel for example and for myself and my team Sometimes some of the suppliers have special advisor-only hotlines, I guess, or access numbers or like a special gateway that we can kind of cut the corners a bit. That's our business. And realistically, it's our problem then. So if my if I have a client who's had a honeymoon that they've got to postpone till next year, it's devastating. And they've, they've got to worry about all their wedding plans and they don't really want to be worried about their honeymoon plans. And uh, I like to think we've provided this great service in that they send me an email. It's as simple as sending an email even or giving us a phone call or in the instance again, because we're a little bit closer to a luxury advisory, we don't have a gigantic list of clients. So I was able to, during the first two weeks, I think if the pandemic was called, within 48 hours, I had been on the phone to personally contact each and every one of our travelers, our, our clients who are set to travel, who might be affected in the next 30 days, then over the next couple of days, the next 60 days, over the next few days, the next 90 days, and try to bring people back in, cancel their plans, or if they were on the road, make the necessary changes to bring them back safely. And, and all at one point of contact, and like I mentioned, in our instance, then through our business, a proactive point of contact. So we weren't even waiting out for people to call us and say, Shy, I don't know what to do about my honeymoon. Shy, I don't know what to do about my family cruise. Shy, I don't know what to do about a summer, a summer family trip to Europe this year. We were able to contact everybody and say, hey, this is what we think is going to happen. And let us know if you have any questions or comments. We'll be in touch. This is the advisory change that might affect you. And don't worry, we've already been in contact with a number of the suppliers. So in some instances, they haven't even had to pick up the phone. But if they have like i said it's it's us sitting on hold it's us bored to tears on a phone line waiting with whatever supplier i don't want to name any names right like, but any any kind of business that they've been inundated with calls or inundated with emails it's our team so none of our clients have had that worry so in the example with coronavirus you mentioned a couple months ago you were proactively reaching out to people so in those cases where a trip was just completely falling apart and had to be canceled can you walk us through what you did to help them 
take care of that situation. So the, the most imminently affected or the most egregiously affected trips were those that had passengers in travel. So they were actually on their trip. And at that time, then the first step, those, those would have been the priority to contact and sometimes the most difficult to get hold of because people, they're not always on their phone. They don't always have roaming turned on or they're away just enjoying themselves. They're not checking their emails every day, waiting for their travel advisor to just pop out of the blue and say, hey, there's an advisory change from the government. So we've got some concern to deal with. So some of them, it took 24, 48 hours to get hold of them or to give some notification to say, hey, give us a number, give us an email, we'll contact you. So that was the earliest outset and kind of to review some of some of their plans to see what kind of policy they held in terms of travel insurance. Most of our travelers travel with travel insurance, which is great, but you want to kind of be on top of it to see, will they have to enact some clause in the claim, in the claims process? Do they have a toll-free number or an international collect number to call if they need some help, if they're not able to get hold of us for whatever reason, they've got a medical emergency, but starting to kind of collapse those itineraries. So I hope they don't mind me saying so, but my own parents were in, in the US at the time. They live in Canada and they had a combination at the same time. They had sent some emails my way and it was me, me trying to get some get hold of them as well and just pushing out to say this is what i believe is going to happen this is what i believe will be the process when you get to the border this is what i believe the travel advisory from the government means for you and uh, i've already checked with the the policy holder the policy administrator for your medical coverage for your travel insurance don't worry you're still covered until the time that you get home to your home province so all these things to the crux you know the point of your show worry-free travel so to take those worries away before they even happen. Like I said, mm-hmm. don't worry, you will be covered no matter what happens. Like I said, collapsing some of those itineraries, those where people were set to travel in the coming days or weeks, or even in the, the next 60 days at that time, or things were becoming really disrupted. Some of them, I'll be honest, a lot of it was wait out and see. So uh, I know we've, we've picked up as a, a business, new clients, even people that have come to us saying, hey, we've had our plans collapse and we booked it on our own or our advisor is not able to help us the right way or we, we think maybe you're the better fit for us. What can you help out here? And I have seen people, they, they kind of succumb to the panic or maybe they read something in an online forum that's delivered by another consumer and the information shared, not that it's shared with malintent, they're, they're sharing with the best of intentions to try to help out another traveler. But when it comes to travel insurance policies, when it comes to supplier policies, terms and conditions, the individual travel plans people have, the, the itineraries are so specific, it's, it's very, very difficult to get expert guidance from another consumer. And that in those instances, meet, meeting or encountering some people who had taken I'm not going to call it bad advice, but they kind of jumped the gun and maybe canceled their plans uh, prematurely. So some of the advice we had been delivering at that time was if you can afford to wait, that's up to you know the individual traveler then if they can afford to wait or not. But my, my suggestion at that time would be let's wait and see what happens, not just with the advisories and the industry, but to each individual supplier. I'll be here for that communication and I'll be proactive in this communication. I'll be maintaining communication with the supplier. But at the same time, until they've changed their policies and made an announcement on this change of policies, some of the terms around waiver of change fees, for example, or not enforcing any rules surrounding the cancellation penalties, it took a couple of days or a couple of weeks even, depending on how big or how busy or the kind of resources some of those supplier companies had to change their policies. And during that time then, some people kind of fell between the cracks if they jumped the gun and canceled too early when they didn't necessarily need to. And um, so in some instances, we were able to case by case basis, get involved and recover things that people had canceled in advance. So I don't want to make it sound like we can, we're a bunch of magicians who can work over every team of, of diversions from the regular terms and conditions. But thankfully, most people who had come to us externally, then we were able to put their trip plans back on track, even if they weren't initially our clients. But for our own clientele, it was, please, if you don't mind waiting, we'll be in good communication as frequently as you like. Call us anytime, email us anytime, we'll respond. But at the same time, just be patient with us. And we're, we're trying really hard to make sure we have the, the best course to recover the value that you've invested in your trip plans, whether that be a future travel voucher or uh, a refund. And if you can afford it, we suggest wait out for the future travel credit, uh, the future cruise voucher right from the get go. Some of the, especially the cruise industry, but some of the, a lot of the travel suppliers were offering 105, 110, 125% future travel voucher value, even as much as one or two cruise lines. Again, I don't want to mention them. There were one or two that were offering 200%. So if you didn't need that cash back in your bank account, you could potentially double your trip investment for a future trip or a future cruise. Yeah, I was going to ask about how 
advisors can help protect the investment in the truck. And you talked a little bit about insurance and a lot of policies don't cover this as a covered reason for cancellation. So people are getting their money back. So you mentioned working with some of the suppliers to actually get them vouchers or get them credits, which seems like a huge benefit. That seems like it would be difficult for the end user to accomplish. What other extra things then can advisors do that are not really possible for a person like me who does it themselves and, and doesn't have the same connections? Yeah, I hope we have the opportunity to talk a little bit more about the travel insurance as well. I know that's one of the highlights of your, your podcast, but like I said, I hope we can come come back to this because um, it's, it's quite a good one. There's a, a little bit of some interesting kind of scope around known event and uh, the differences from the added confusion right. from different states, different provinces, cross-border. And when people take to these forums with the best of intent, other people are trying to help. Consumers are trying to help one another and point them in the right direction. But state by state, province by province, country by country, all those policy details, they, they differ. And uh, they're not necessarily giving people the right advice. And this has come up in past that I've had even clients of my own, the best of my ability, try to point them in the right direction for you know what they might need for travel coverage, for travel, sorry, a travel insurance policy, not just coverage, but maybe- For so our travel insurance- companies on that list of suppliers that you help negotiate with and, and you handle that aspect for your clients? No, that one's quite difficult because again, there's there's a, an awful lot of regulation and rightfully so. So we, we don't even bend, let alone break the rules. So for myself, for example, my business would then be province by province, state by state, either myself or again, if we're talking about the advantages of working with a travel advisor is um, trying to find a a locally based, locally licensed advisor to help out with that policy. Mm-hmm. And the, the importance of that being, if you're not licensed, you're not really, you're not really su- supposed to even be advising on this stuff, right? And mm-hmm. like I said, then do you, do you work with the insurer to try to work through claims or answer questions, things like that? Yeah. So for example, so for, for my business based out of Ontario, my, my licensing extends to clients who reside in Ontario, but other people on the team able to advise from different provinces or different states, or again, even if they're not contracted directly into my team, if they're not you know named on our business website as, as members of the team, we do back on to an affiliate agency, um, a host agency and a, a larger consortia. And from within there, it's, I've got the access to a form of about 3,500 professional travel advisors, all within the same affiliation. And any of those people, depending on where they live, maybe they live in Florida, Washington State, whatever, if the, if the consumer, if our clientele need that, that firsthand assistance from somebody who has the license locally, we can either put them in touch. And you know, the travel industry is phenomenal in that it's, it's probably the only industry I've come across in which everyone kind of collaborates rather than competes. So there's, there's absolutely no problem putting them in touch with another professional to make sure they've got that guidance or mm-hmm. the licensing held is uh, two, two preferred suppliers. And we have the opportunity to touch on the preferred supplier aspect um, later in the conversation. But the preferred supplier, we do have a preferred insurance provider. So again, we're not magicians and there's a, a legal limit, let alone you know the practical limit. Like I said, not magicians. So we're not able to affect the claims process. But we are able to kind of point things out. We are able to get in touch with the business development manager over at the insurance company to say, hey, the standard form that the client submitted, they've submitted these things, but maybe they've missed out this document or somebody didn't take into consideration this circumstance or surrounding coronavirus and uh, even you know, in, in regular everyday circumstances. What happens to people when they're away? It's, it's unpredictable. That's why we need the travel insurance in the first place. So it's case by case specific. Sometimes the, the claims forms don't have enough space to elaborate. And if somebody feels that they need to get their voice heard, have somebody re-review it, like I said, not magicians, can't guarantee any success, can't affect the claims process. But we are there to kind of point things back out to the mm-hmm. insurance policy provider to say, hey, this circumstance was different. When we made the purchase on their behalf, this was the circumstance and the circumstance has changed. Yes, but we believe it wasn't. it's not true based on this evidence. So like I said, not magicians, can't guarantee an outcome, can't affect the claims process, but we can be that helping hand, back people up with documentation, point them in the right direction, make some basic suggestions or put them directly in touch with the license provider who will be able to answer those questions and cover cover their, their concerns. Yeah, it sounds like the, the same assistance in other areas. You just have a bit of leverage in that you can contact the company and, and try to assist in a case-by-case basis where typically a traveler is just left to calling the main line like everybody else and trying to get through to, to somebody that can help them out. So it seems like a similar level of assistance there. Yeah. So then what else do people not know about with travel advisors? I'm certainly in the dark. I feel like when I go to book a trip, I buy some airfare and I book a hotel. 
and I'm missing something because I know a lot of people use travel advisors. So what else am I missing about it that is a great benefit? Yeah. So for example, like you said, you might be um, shopping online and we've got some some great consumer tools. I won't knock them. Like I said, collaborative industry, not competing one. And there's some great tools, some great resources out there to help the consumer, help clients, uh, help travelers kind of shop around for whatever they think might best suit their needs and more specifically their wants when it comes to to taking a trip. And uh, some of those things then counterintuitively, we've got this arguably the best invention ever, the internet, um, most powerful you know, means of communication and, and access to information, but it, it's kind of come around full circle to become confusing. And uh, you're kind of overwhelmed with options now and that the, it comes down to fine tooth comb over the terms and conditions in some instances when we're talking about cancellation policies, change policies, but on the, the happier end to get more out of your trip, what you kind of find is, unfortunately, people are kind of almost almost coerced into thinking, I feel anyway, that the modern marketing, it's such a competitive landscape that a lot of the marketing by some of the, the bigger players, they've got these, these deep pockets, they kind of put the tools in people's hands and they say, you've got all, this, all the resources to have the trip you want the way you want it and pay the price you want, but that, that might not necessarily be true, it's just perceived to be true. And it, it kind of makes people think like if they if they don't get the best deal, they're, maybe they're, they're failing as a consumer or they're idiots. They haven't used the tools properly. And that, that bit can lead to some, some sour feelings, some buyer's remorse later, but also in the positive aspect. So if you're using an aggregate tool, you're jumping onto your favorite comparison site, for example, a lot of that info, a lot of that data comes from the same few places and it's just presented in a different format. So it's you know called channel distribution, for example. The hotel room you're looking at, it's the same hotel room no matter where you buy it. And the inventory is managed, not necessarily on a live, but maybe live or close to live timescale. And that when you're you're looking through, you're comparing your shopping for this this hotel, again, for example, as it's presented to you with different pricing, that can kind of get people really focused on the lowest, the lowest rate rather than the best value. And that sometimes the best value isn't so obvious to see and that it takes a, a human eye or you know, professional in this instance to point out not just the value in something as simple as a room, but once we get into, in particular, cruises is a great example, more complex itineraries, things that people are making two stops on a trip, for example. These kind of things get far more complex and that you've got so many moving parts, there realistically is no perfect answer. But having another person there who not only can help, help kind of hold your hand and guide you down the process and tell you what they think is the best combination of options, but also to use those resources available that the consumer isn't necessarily um, privy to, to kind of shop some of these things. So for example, there's a difference between the uh, published and unpublished fares. And I'm, I'm not always a huge fan of these the unpublished fares, but the un- unpublished fares might be specific to, to airlines or so for flights, for example. Unpublished fares are just that, they're not published. So the public doesn't have access to them. You have to have some kind of contracting to gain access to this portal, to look for fares that aren't available to the general public, and that sometimes they're more advantageous in terms of what you can expect with convenience and connections, but in in particular to business class and first class flights, maybe better rates. And uh, if you're not working with a a travel advisor, I I don't necessarily know how or where the general consumer would, would have access to these. They're not my favorite, like I mentioned. That's not necessarily the best example. So the consolidated fares, the unpublished fares, sometimes that benefit comes at the cost of flexibility because you've got uh, purchasing power of a a third-party contract and it usually works out. But when it doesn't work out, sometimes it's a little bit less flexible. So, and that's where, again, where your travel insurance should also be there. But like I said, that's just one example. If we were coming into a different example, maybe a better example, a friendlier example in cruise vacations, personally quite like the cruise industry and I'm really looking forward to the time when it returns to its full strength but the the different options available for group itineraries just packaging things in a in a unique way that you wouldn't necessarily be able to that's far far too complex for any of the the, the modern day shopping comparison aggregators whatever tools available to the consumer to kind of provide a, a, a one an all-in price an all-in rate that shows what it'll cost for you to get to the, if all you had to do is basically get to the airport in your hometown and the cost of your flights, your transfers, your cruise, your um, short excursions, and that, yeah, these can all be purchased through, or many aspects of it, sorry, I should say, can be purchased through the cruise provider, the cruise supplier, but you don't necessarily have the option to add different elements outside of their contracts where the advisor mm-hmm. would. 
and that we can kind of make a custom or unique package for each person based on whatever their preferences might be, hopefully with some uh, preference towards something unique, some amenities that they couldn't get on their own, uh, again, down to that purchasing power in some instances, but in a lot of instances, uh, in particular with you know coronavirus-related recovery, that case-by-case, case, that, that personal relationship that helps things out makes a smoother, more worry-free experience. And then I touched on, for example, the, the group travel experience that uh, there aren't really a lot of tools available to consumer that if you've got a destination wedding, um, you're celebrating an, an anniversary, uh, a milestone, you want to take your family, your kids, the grandparents, the parents, the kids, a school group, a church group, this kind of thing. It, it can get com- quite complex and everybody traveling has different needs. There's not really there's not really a good tool that helps the consumer put this stuff all together without really, really going to the drawing board. And again, that typically requires some contracting and it's not available to the general public. So mm-hmm. these these kind of you know larger group trips, that's uh, this is also quite helpful uh, when engaging with an advisor. I wasn't aware there were so many things, I think you mentioned with airfare, that, that are unlisted. The consumer doesn't even have access to it. Yeah, you never know. It it's not like we don't. It's not like we don't know where to look, or we don't have the patience to spend the time to find it. It's just not even there. And it, I think you just mentioned it as well in the cruise world or or in the group travel. I wasn't aware of that. Yeah, and I'm, again, that's why it's called unpublished, right? So it's not not public mm-hmm. knowledge. Right. So then, can you play devil's advocate a little bit and just speak to any reasons that you might not want to use an advisor? Are there any drawbacks to using an advisor to plan trips? For instance, cost comes to mind. Yeah. So yeah, so I think we kind of touched on uh, when we were discussing offline before the idea of, of a professional fee. So it's become a sticking point, or it has been a sticking point from time to time. People get focused on the the dollars and cents, the, the money value, and that the overall savings to the trip doesn't necessarily stick in their mind at the outset. And that I myself, my business, we we do charge a professional fee. So that that fee is kind of there to help out. Uh, to ensure then that you've got that that dedicated one-to-one support, that great depth of support, um, but it does come with a cost, and sometimes people don't they don't like paying this cost, and it's uh, not really excuse me, it's not really a lot of strings attached, but it does become a non-refundable fee once you've once you've paid it. So, like mm-hmm. I said, this this isn't universal. Not all advisors apply this, but sometimes that's that's something that that kind of comes as a sticking point from the outset. Um, so, not all advisors charge a fee. No, and I'm not going to say that they're better or worse, that their, their services are better or their services are, are you know unsatisfactory based on whether they do or don't charge a professional fee. I'm going to touch to a trend. So it's again, it's up to the consumer to decide for themselves what they like. But uh, touch to a trend is that more advanced services and the more advanced services and those advisors and those businesses that not just provide greater depth of support, but also maybe they've invested more in not just technology to make things smoother for the traveler, but also accreditation, qualifications, professional development. It's almost like gaining a new certification every couple of months, every couple of years. Mm -hmm. And it it is the cost of doing business, but just like you engage with legal help, you may pay more for the legal profession that the professional who has more letters after their name, for example, or more mm-hmm. more certificates on the wall. And like I said, up to the consumer to decide. Absolutely perfectly happy helping people out, pointing them in the right direction sometimes if they, they don't want to engage the full services and actually have the booking in that. Uh, we do maintain, mm-hmm. for example, on, on my website, a travel forum specifically for that purpose so that if people, they, they don't necessarily feel ready to engage and ready to book, but they have some questions. By all means, you can still get some professional guidance and some, some questions answered on the forum and that, that you know there's no cost with that. But not, not all advisors do administer this. But like I said, it, it tends to be people who are maybe they're, they're, they're newer to the industry or they're not as confident in their own services or they haven't invested as much time and money into their own accreditations. But that, that's so not then, necessarily true. That's not necessarily universal. Right. And for those that don't charge a fee or maybe not a large fee, what's the business model there? How do they make money? Uh, yeah, so the business model is typically comes from commissions paid. And this is one, again, the... the I don't want to call it a drawback, but I, I do understand why some people have a almost a hard feeling about it, is that people don't understand the business model, is that when you're paying for a room, when you're paying for a cruise, when you're paying for a flight, it's almost like their marketing costs is that there is a commissionable fee inserted into all of those rates. And if you weren't using an advisor, you're paying for it anyway. So that that's the that's the crux of it is you, mm-hmm. you can't you can't have that amount rebated from the supplier. You can't you can't just say, hey, I know that the, there's a commission. If I've used an advisor, I don't want to use an advisor. And you right, you're your, not paying anybody for the yeah, sales. Can I can I get a discount? But that 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 doesn't happen. So mm-hmm. no matter what, some people in the industry say, 
you're, you're paying for the service whether you take it or not, so you might as well use an advisor. I don't necessarily like that line. It kind of makes, it's not, what do they call it, hate, hate marketing, making people feel bad for the purchases that they're, they're making. I don't, I don't like this at all. But yeah, for people who, who aren't aware, aren't privy to the info, that um, in almost every travel purchase made on planet Earth, there's a commissionable rate inserted in that cost. So no matter what, you, you cannot pay less for getting less service. It's, it's just that. Does that go for all suppliers for, you mentioned hotel rooms, but airfare and cruises and tours and, and everything? Again, case by case, it's not like it's not a legal requirement to, to pay commission, right? So you might find some small suppliers that can't afford it. So I'll, I'll give you some very specific examples. The tour operations that um, I'm a partner to in um, South Florida, when we started out, we were trying to engage with the travel advisor community, but a bit, a bit heavier engaged with the travel advisor community. We were offering a little bit more in terms of what might be commissionable sales in that. But I, I think we were just too new. And at the time, we were just was taking too many resources to try to engage with them, let alone then to engage with the consumer. So some of those things we've had to kind of turn around and reflect. Are we able to add the same value as offering directly to the consumer? So in that model, yes, but that's not the universal model. Some businesses, then they decide that they get better value by working with the advisor. And some businesses, again, only work with advisors. So there are suppliers that don't sell to the public so that they, again, not just airfare, but just full on full package itineraries of hotel transportation, everything you could want in a trip. And they, they do not sell to the public. They only sell to third party professional advisors. So the model varies, but when it comes to the supplier, so that is the business that, that owns or contract, they have the, they have the lease on the business for the hotel, for example, or the cruise fare, any of the commercial, the commercial stuff, there, there is a commission baked into it um, and you can't escape it versus, like I said, some of the, some of the smaller tour operators or I've come across some, some yacht charters, for example, some fishing, uh, fishing charters or some other small businesses that they're just the investment in technology and resources that it takes to kind of engage with that third party. It comes with a cost as well, and, and it's not necessarily for their benefit. So sometimes they, they, don't, they don't have this process. So at which point um, that, that's, that's not universally true. But for the large commercial stuff, any of the branded hotel chains, most airlines, all, all cruise lines, there's absolutely cannot, cannot escape the commission-based model. So then since we're kind of airing dirty laundry here a little bit, and as a cynic or even cynical listeners, they might think that an advisor will send people to a supplier that pays more commission. Is there any truth to anything like that? Um, I can't, again, I can't speak universally. So I'm sure as a business model, depending on the individual needs of, of the, that individual, that contract, whoever, I'm sure it does happen. I'd like to think no, but I'm sure it does. And I know in some instances, then it's, it's not always the, a bad thing, right? So that's, again, the, the devil's advocacy here, right? Like the preferred stuff comes with maybe better commission rates, but it also comes with that better depth of support again. And realistically, even though it's a higher commission rate, the, it doesn't change the, the rate the consumer pays. Like I said, there's, there's no escaping the consumer rate, that, that the rate's the rate's the rate. So if there's a higher commissionable rate, again, the consumer would never know, I'll, I'll be honest there. But in terms of our business, we do work with a number of preferred suppliers and that those might be the first place I look when it comes to a new client inquiry, but it won't be the only place I look. And that mm -hmm. with, with time, you kind of get to know your own personal preferred suppliers who may in future then become preferred suppliers through contracting. But I find then that some of the businesses that through the affiliation, through the consortia, through my own business, they're not preferred, but sometimes they, they just have a better product. And even if it means uh, a reduced level of commission, and again, back to paying that professional fee, any travel advisor that's in it for the long run, the business model is going to be robust. And it means you probably have to apply uh, at least a small professional fee at the outset to help make sure that your resources are best used to keep your business in business. So you can help your clients, not just on this one trip this year, but on every trip every year, or at least with some good frequency over the next 5, 10, 20, 50 years, their kids, their grandkids, whatever it takes to make sure then that you've got not just a customer, you've got a long-term client because you're looking out for their best interests. And those best mm -hmm. interests, yes, sometimes it works out to the preferred supplier route. But um, again, any any professional who only looks to the preferred suppliers, I, I, don't, I don't think these exist. People do have to look to the best interest of their clients. All, all advisors right. have to look to the best interest of their clients because, again, e even when times are tough under this uh, COVID coronavirus, all, all it takes is a, a bad review because somebody's had uh, a bad experience because there's a bad feeling. That's, this is not good for anybody's business. But again, speaking more positively, most advisors enter the industry as a passion for travel. As I mentioned, this my own personal circumstance, 
helping people just make some great memories, have these mind-blowing, perspective-changing experiences, transformative power of travel, that if you're just in it for a quick buck, the, the quick buck doesn't come for six or 12 months anyway, but also you're not doing yourself any favors. You're not doing the business any favors. You're not doing the industry any favors if unless you're looking out for the best interests of the consumer, of your clients. Mm -hmm. Yeah, it'd be pretty short-sighted to send yeah. somebody to a bad supplier just for the commission because then it's once and done. Yeah, absolutely. So one, one, they do kind of one, one gets the other that a good supplier will with time maybe naturally move to becoming the preferred supplier or even if it's not in contract, it becomes your preferred supplier. So you think each time I've dealt, you know, with the, I send my clients to this certain hotel and they're not the preferred supplier. They're not in a, the chain of preferred suppliers, but we've got a good relationship. I can call up their sales desk. I can call up their concierge. I can, you know, work with them to navigate some problems and the rates are almost the same anyway. It happens to be some great amenities, but there's also that great depth of support, that great service. They may be my unofficial preferred supplier anyway. And with time, then one of us may approach the other to say, hey, can we put this in contract and see if we can get some better rates or add some better amenities for, our, for the, the number of clients that we're sending? So how do you find a good advisor, a reputable advisor? I think you'd mentioned some certifications and qualifications and things of that sort. Is there some sort of directory or how can you point people towards finding somebody that has a good reputation that has good service other than just looking online and searching and kind of going some of those normal routes? Yeah, it's, it's again, that, that internet is a useful tool, but the double-edged sword that it's con confusion can be found uh, trying to search for these answers. So sometimes it's as simple as leaning on your, your own social group, your, your community, people that, that have used an advisor, that they trust this advisor, they've had a good experience with that advisor, just, just ask them. And again, especially in the time of coronavirus, as we're looking to recover and, and help out small businesses, most professional travel advisors especially the, the ones that invest in their own certifications, qualifications, not to say that they don't exist in some of the bigger uh, online travel agencies, what have you, but most advisors work as a small business. So you're supporting small businesses and it is that word of mouth referral and you can get some some great results by asking your friends or family, who, who did you use when you booked your last trip? Or I saw mm -hmm. some pictures when you went on that trip, did you use it a professional? Or you know, if you did use a professional, I, I would advocate now's the time to as well. It doesn't hurt. Jump on social media or tell somebody and say, hey, I had a great trip. And part of the success of that great trip was this this advisor helped me out. And that, that you're not really forcing anybody to use them. You're just allowing them the opportunity, right? Or helping them out with that news in whittling down, getting getting through that infinite list of, of options that you might find on the internet to help out with a personal recommendation. And if you don't have the personal recommendation, you can look to other professional organizations or other professional outlets that you can trust. So for example, we're on your podcast right now, talking about some industry that you, the people that are listening, that they're, they're tuning in and they're becoming part of the community. There's some trust base there to say, why did you choose to talk to this other person, this other advisor, this other business? And that there's that, that level of trust that exists there. So again, not, not to sound like I'm soliciting for my own business too much here, but it's there's, there's a, a reason then I'm trying to be so transparent here is that the industry really benefits from having people open and discussing and, and you know, sharing in this community, but also they turn to people like yourself who also lean into the community to say, these are the, the businesses or these are the individuals that we've, we've come to trust. And again, if people are out on their own, all, all the way out in the cold, they've only got a, an internet search engine to help them out. My strongest suggestion there would be to look for those advisors or those businesses that have invested heavily in accreditation, certifications, qualifications. And it, it doesn't necessarily mean that you're looking for an advisor that's got three degrees in hospitality and tourism, although that could be a good place to start. But specifically... What are, what are some important ones to look for? Yeah, so American Society of Travel Advisors, the Canadian one's ACTA, but it's not American-Canadian. It's the Association of Canadian Travel Advisors. There, there we go, ACTA versus ASTA. American Society of Travel Advisors, most of those people will sell cross-border and that they, they should be able to help out no matter what, especially people living up up near the, the northern borders in the US or down near the southern border, borders in Canada. There's, again, collaborative industry. There's nothing wrong with looking across the border. Just keep in mind what your personal requirements might be for travel insurance. There's a, a regional limitation there. But uh, again, those qualified professionals should be able to point you in the right direction. Um, you're looking mm -hmm. at those who have joined International Air Transport Association that we're looking at. They kind of help administer what the airline industry should be doing in general, and not just for passengers, but also for cargo. So it's a you know, big, big one. And that, that's a big one because they help kind of vet the legitimate businesses. 
and again, I, I really don't want to touch on the, too much of the, the negative, but it is important to, to note that there is some incidents, some opportunity for, for fraud to come in there. So you, you should definitely be looking for businesses that have some of these kind of associations because they're legitimate businesses. They have invested not just the money, but the time and getting gaining the licenses and gaining the accreditations um, for cruise industries, CLIA, the Cruise Line Industry Association. What's the process of getting certified with these different organizations? If it brings value in showing that you are reputable and, and you have you can be trusted, what's the process of getting that certification? Yeah, so for some of them, it's a little bit more involved than others. So we've got CLIA's the Cruise Lines International Association, for example, pretty much international standard for cruise lines. This one requires that you've been in business for a certain amount of time or that you've made a certain number of commissionable sales over the, the previous, the preceding number of uh, months or years. So that, that's a good start, obviously, because there's some longevity of business and some, some commitment to the fact that that business, that person, that individual is actually doing trade and that it is kind of vetted. There's obviously some paid membership. Um, and then as the number of accreditations and membership increases, it's not just the financial investment to go through the various courses, but it takes time to do those courses. And some of the requirements then, they're, they're, again, they're, they're tied to performance which might, mm. might not sound super significant, but if you're, you're looking for a business that actually sells cruises to, to kind of recommend cruises to you, right? So mm. that that's one example. It's an interesting one because, again, it, it does come with uh, a time scale. So you're looking at the number of years that you can, before you can actually become um, or gain gain your own IATA licensing. And that some, some of the model might be then that you go through a host agency or another larger business to help you out contract in and they'll kind of do the vetting to see that that you are qualified and you, you do have the legitimacy of business to, to help out and have access to that IATA licensing. And then you've got regular routes of, of, of schooling. So I mentioned the degree, diploma, whatever, hospitality and tourism. And then from the other side, you've got some qualifications or certifications that might come specific to the supplier and uh, or to the consortia. And they might sound again, a little bit in line if somebody had some concern regarding the preferred supplier route what's what's the intent and does it what does it mean that this person has a, a certification from a, a local travel marketing company for example so like go hawaii for the hawaiian islands for example or for a, a specific airline or a specific destination and that it's kind of that 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 two-way investment of the, the the time and energy to make sure that there's more familiarity better depth of support there's somebody local to that to that um, destination or somebody within that, that business or organization that there's an established contact. Some of them can be a little more simple than others. Don't get me wrong. Often for the supplier stuff, there's not really uh, a gigantic financial commitment, but definitely a commitment of time. So which is, you could argue, m far more valuable than the commitment of finances. But you, again, you're looking for individuals or businesses that hold those industry certifications, industry qualifications, in particular, if you're looking to travel with that business. So you want to travel with celebrity cruises, for example, you're going to be looking for a celebrity five-star certified travel advisor or travel agency. Yeah, that makes sense. It seems like a bit of gatekeeping just to just to show that you are in the business, you, you do transact sales, you've met certain standards. So I can see where it's better than nothing. I've seen the logos on various websites and yeah. I've never really looked into what they mean, but I assume there was some sort of certification program. So I yeah. can see where that would be something to look for. They do go. They do go beyond just the gatekeeping, though. That often they come with. They are. They are tested. They are often, you know, come with. Sometimes it's a simple quiz, but sometimes they're, they're far more elaborate and a, a lot, a lot more time involved. And that they help. They help build that level of trust. Yeah, the legitimacy. They help introduce people to the business, so you get to know your, your business development manager. Those those people that help you solve problems and provide that depth of support. But they're, they're also certainly beyond just intended. They do succeed in helping. Um, people better understand the product. So no matter how often I might get on a cruise ship, getting the cruise companies, the cruise line certification doesn't just get me past the gatekeeper and show that I've been cruising with them, I've been selling these cruises. It also, I might be able to fly through some of them if I've been selling their products, but there will always be some information in there that maybe I just haven't come across. So there's that education aspect as well, that maybe I've only been selling a certain type of uh, cabin category and that I've got a client who has a question about a different type of cabin category. Again, as a travel advisor, I can ask my other clients that have traveled. I can ask my you know people on the team here at the Disney Travel. I can ask, lean upon the advisor network to ask for some suggestions there. I can talk to the BDM. And then there's also through the certification, some, some introduction or some, again, you can go really, really in depth in some of them to help you out to really, really better understand 
some aspects of that cabin category and in the more advanced stuff, especially the cruise lines, they've, they've really got some good insight into what, what travel style is best achieved on different itineraries or who, who the traveler might be. And then you get, you get a, a, better, a better understanding as you get to know your own clients, which cruise line or which cabin category or which itinerary might be best for them and a, a good place to kind of reinforce this, the certification. Well, thank you. I think this has been a good overview of benefits of travel advisors, all the small perks that people don't know about, and especially with coronavirus going on right now, I can see a lot of the benefits. I'd love to ask you just essential tips for travel. You deal with a lot of travelers. This is your business, obviously. What are the basic things that, that you'd like to, to tell people? Yeah. So I think from the get-go is, is find a place that you're comfortable, that you think you can rely and trust the resource for some information. And it could be an advisor, yeah, but it could be a friend of yours that's been there. If you're looking for information about destination, again, your friends and family, if they've been there, they'll help you out and they know you, right? Yeah, your advisor, you know, good client-advisor relationship, they know you. But some place that you find that you have a, a trustworthy resource for some information or some place to get some answers, that, that's always helpful. And a good place to start at the, at the very, very most basic um, but critical, critical point is your own, your own government's advisory website, your advisory portal. So again, in the U.S., it's travel.state.gov. In Canada, it's uh, travel.gc.ca. There are others across most governments. They'll kind of point you out with some summary information about that destination, about the rules of entry and exit, about some security, about some medical advice, and that there's a, there's a really good place to start if you're, if you're starting from scratch and that you, you don't have any clue or you're, you're going far out of your comfort zone or some, some destination on a continent you've never been to before, that, that kind of thing. And it, it's a really good resource for, just to see what might the requirements be. Do you have to plan for a specific visa? And I'll give you a great personal anecdote from years before I was a, a travel advisor. So again, don't, don't let this reflect upon the level of service I deliver today. But I had my first, my first trip to Vietnam, for example. I was still serving in the armed forces and I was kind of gifted some extra days of, of leave. And I'm just looking around, where have I never been before? What sounds exciting? And uh, like many people do, is there a good rate to get myself to Southeast Asia? Because I've always enjoyed visiting Southeast Asia. Never been to Vietnam, booked myself a flight. It was due to depart in three days, four days, something like this, to go spend a couple of weeks traveling through Vietnam. And uh, only after I had purchased the non-refundable airfare and after I had started booking up my hotel rooms and planning on my trip, that it dawned on me, oh, I didn't really check if I needed a visa. And sure enough, I jump on the travel advisory site and yes, I, I needed a visa. A tourist visa at the time was required and that there's a processing time and a processing fee and that it's not extremely difficult, but you do have to jump through some hoops and it puts your trip in jeopardy. But there was a huge, huge scramble for myself then to jump through all these hoops. I can't remember how much money, but it was a couple hundred dollars, I think, just to kind of accelerate the process and make sure I had the right visas just to just to get into the country. And ha had I started at the government advisory site, I would have got from the horse's mouth the advice that is relevant relevant to my passport. Because again, back to whatever websites you want or talk to friends and family, whatever, they can give you advice based on, oh, you don't need a, a visa. You don't need, you can visit for 30 days. You can visit for 45 days. The last time I visited, they just stamped me on arrival, whatever. It, it's a good, it kind of gives you a general idea, but, the, but they're not the customs and borders agents. They're not the ones who admit you into the country or not. So you should go right to the source and get that info to start off there. Um, and then I'm going to temper that with the second aspect in addition to whatever information is delivered on the government travel portal, I would always recommend one to two blank pages in your passport. Uh, the reason being then some, some countries administer a visa or you know visa on arrival, whatever, and it comes as a, like a giant stamp or a giant sticker mm -hmm. or something like this. And it might take a whole page. And if you travel a lot or you haven't you know, renewed your passport in a long time, if you don't have that full page to stick it in there, they're not going to cover up extra stamps and you're going to have some big problems at the border there. And in particular, times of coronavirus, getting that passport renewed is a big deal. And I don't believe the US passport office is allowing the inserting of extra pages anymore. So you're kind of stuck at that point. Second to the one to two pages, whatever the advisory says, the entry and exit requirements. So it says you, you can just show up with a passport, stay for 30 days, no problem. Add 180 days to that, to the validity period of your passport. So if you're traveling on the 1st of December, 2020, and your passport expires on the 31st of December, 2020, you're probably going to want to get it renewed before you take that trip. And the reason being airlines, they've got the duty of care and they've got some responsibility for their passengers. It's just good business practice, but it's also kind of written in the, the rules there that they've got to help provide reasonable transport, reasonable get you from A to B. 
And if you fly and there's a risk of you arrive to this new country, this destination to go enjoy your holiday, go enjoy a vacation and you're denied entry, I don't know that they're required to take you home, but you're kind of stuck in limbo and then it becomes a massive, massive problem. A lot of supplier companies, and, and rightfully so, there might be a second set of demands that you have at least six months validity on your passport or they won't let you board the plane. So again, if you show up to the airport and you think, oh, I went to the government advisory site that said I only need 30 days, I've got 35, great. The airline might not even give you a boarding pass or they might say, hey, there's a risk you're going to get denied entry. So we can't in good conscience let you risk that because you you risk being stuck at the border like that guy in the terminal, right? <laughs> that guy, Tom right. Hanks film, right? <laughs> like you don't, mm-hmm. it's not going to be that bad, but they, you know, they'll, they'll, they'll have the second set of requirements. Well, it seems like something that it's, it's good to play it on the safe side with things yeah. like getting things renewed. Don't play it right down to the last minute or the last couple of weeks of the validity of a, of a document like that. Go ahead and get it done ahead of time. Oh yeah, again, like like most things in travel, you have the the smoothest, most worry-free experience if you secure the things you want in advance, and that that's just it. So part of it, maintaining a, a valid passport. So what other common mistakes do you see travelers make that you can you can point out and help them avoid? Traveling without travel insurance. That's it. I can. I, I'm I'm hoping you're smiling when I say this one because it's uh, I'm sure near and dear mm-hmm. to both our hearts here. But that's honestly, it's domestic travel. You could argue at-home medical coverage might be, mm. but most people don't realize that the at-home medical coverage does not extend beyond the borders, right? Like you won't have coverage if you go to the Caribbean, you won't have coverage if you go to Europe, you won't have coverage. I'll give you a spe- specific example of the United Kingdom. They, they want to help you. They want to make sure that you're, you're safe and that your well-being is you're good and whole and that you, you don't suffer and perish on a visit. So if you don't have medical coverage in your arsenal, if you get an injury or you fall ill on your trip, and you need some kind of assistance, the, the health service is great and they'll help you out, but you can expect to receive a bill of 150% of the value of the services rendered because you're not paying into their into their national or their universal mm. healthcare system. So not only are you on the hook for whatever the, the cost might be, which can be astronomical to begin with, but because you've not been paying in your whole lifetime, they're, they're actually, they're, that's the rule, 150%. So whatever it costs, plus another half. It, it could have only cost perhaps four, five, six dollars per day per person for your medical coverage. If you're traveling for two weeks to save $50, $75, and then you fall ill or you're injured, heaven forbid, you can't foresee this thing. That's the whole point of the insurance. So it, when you say that that's a common mistake and a big one to avoid, are you thinking specifically travel medical insurance or the cancellation side trip insurance that covers cancel trips and baggage and that stuff as well? Yeah, that certainly helps. Again, there is a duty of care or good business practice that you'll probably find airlines, cruise lines, whatever, the transportation element anyway. So your lost baggage, there may be some consideration. So if they lose your luggage, they're probably going to pay to get you your luggage, but they may not pay to get you your luggage for two, four, six days. And now we're not just talking what you want, but like you show up without your luggage business or leisure, whatever, you're going to need some clothes, right? You're going to need some warm weather stuff if you're going on a ski vacation, that, that kind of thing. And then certainly the cancellation, it's meant to help remove that stress and worry. And it's, I'm going to argue, it's a good valid part of every travel investment to make sure then that you, you protect the amount of money, your vacation funds, but also your time, right? Like, so we all work very hard, especially you only have so many vacation days and you're, you're working hard to take those vacation days. It, it can be a very, very helpful tool. And again, I come across it from time to time that people think I'm going to lean on my credit card insurance, but just like the use of the travel advisor or just like how easy it is to click through those TNCs, click the little radio box on your purchase. Oh, great. Yeah, I just agreed to the TNCs. I find that, again, unfortunately, a lot of people don't they don't read in detail what the coverage limits might be for their credit card. And um, it might be your trip is a day longer than, than the coverage might last or the amount is less than the amount you need to claim on your credit card coverage or they're going to cover you, but it's going to take six to eight months to get that cash back. And much like we're seeing Today with people, if you can't afford to wait for the voucher and you need that cash back because it is your family's not just once a year trip, but you've been saving up for a year or two and you can't really afford this, you need to get some of that uh, cancellation coverage. You, you don't really want to be waiting six, eight, 12 months for your credit card to just process it because they're not a specialist travel product. And then I'll give you another example, homeowner's insurance. So I've had people come to me say, oh, I don't, I don't think I need the luggage or the personal effects. We've got the homeowner's insurance, but then... Maybe the homeowner's insurance has a deductible that's far higher than the value of the things that were lost or stolen or you know broken, whatever might be the case while you're away. Not certain that this is the way it works in all instances, but is your monthly cost of your homeowner's insurance going to go up because you've made a claim 
on your trip because you just wanted to save 50 bucks on a travel insurance product. What percentage of people that you work with would you say buy trip cancellation insurance, like a package policy? So for sales that happen north of the border in Canada, legally obliged to recommend it. That's part of the advisor services. I have to advise that you get adequate travel insurance for the full duration of your trip. Yeah. Whereas in the US, the regulation is the opposite. You can only just say, would you like travel insurance? Yes or no. So again, there's a little bit of even like regulatory confusion. So some of that stuff, it's a little bit harder because you, you can't really promote it in some instances. So people either understand the value or they don't. So again, that's, that's part of the value of, of your podcast, for example, is helping spread the good word of, of getting this coverage because you, you're not allowed to solicit it. So it can be a bit difficult. In terms of the percentage, sale of policies is definitely up since coronavirus. Absolutely, this, this is up. For medical coverage, this is probably the highest percentage and that I would suggest most people, even if they think they have some coverage through their workplace or through their insurance or their credit card, which does happen, a good number of people, even those that, that think they have it, there's a, there's a top up. So I would like to think that close to 100% travel with what they think is medical coverage, a good number of people add it and probably not quite half, but maybe maybe around the one out of four, you know, two to two to three out of 10 tend to add uh, a more robust policy that has some kind of cancellation or mm-hmm. kind of mis- uh, misconnection insurance. And that this is this is absolutely an, an increase, an increasing factor for rebookings and new bookings since this coronavirus. So you would say a majority focus on travel medical and then maybe 25%, <clears throat> something around there, will focus on the cancellation, the package policy, which includes travel medical, but is really focused on cancellation. Yeah, maybe you've got some input on this as well. You've got maybe the supplier offers some travel coverage or some consideration or travel protection package, something like this, as you mentioned. But but some of these, they're not travel insurance policies. They're not insurance products. They're kind of like an add-on to the package. And this stuff is reasonably popular as well. And sometimes they provide some great coverages. Don't get me wrong. But the, the case for the actual travel insurance product is that the travel insurance products are regulated. So mm-hmm. there's support from the state or support from the government to help ensure that the businesses run the way they're supposed to run, but also there's financial support to make sure then that if in times of coronavirus, if you're supplier goes bankrupt, then they don't have the recourse to, to help you out with the travel protection package, the insurance company should and should be buoyed by the local government. So it's a little bit different there. And yeah, I think to your, your question about people taking the medical versus the cancellation. Yeah, absolutely. I think it's, it's easier for people to empathize with needing medical coverage versus needing the cancellation. And I put them both down to you never know when you're going to need it until you need it. And then like, oh, wow, thankfully I had it. The travel cancellation coverage, it does tend to be more expensive. So that that's, I think, what, what kind of turns people away. I don't know what your experience is, but I think around the 10% of the total trip value, depending on what the what the excess or the the initial initial amount might be. Yeah, that might be at the high end of the range. But thanks for pointing out the distinction between insurance and protection, because a lot of the suppliers do offer a protection plan. Yeah. And it's, it's packaged like it looks like insurance, but that's an important word that's lacking there. Yep. It is protection. Yep. And as you say, the, the regulation is different and they just act differently. So, I mean, I might say it's better than nothing, but it's not travel insurance. And for all the reasons you say, it's, it's not quite the best option. So thanks for pointing that out. And it leads me to my next question, which is travel myths. I try to dig out little things, misconceptions that people have about travel and yep. And put them to rest. Do you have any that you can share from your experience? Yeah, I don't know how it perpetuates. And I'll be honest, I could be wrong. Yeah, I don't have the the, the mental calculative powers, but um, this consistent myth I get less and less these days. But for a good period of time, was oh things are things are a better rate if I book them on a Tuesday night, and and not mm-hmm. just like I book to travel on the Tuesday. I mean actually get behind the computer and wait up till eleven o'clock Tuesday night to actually make the booking itself doesn't matter when you when you travel and I don't know how that how that kind of thing started but I could see the kind of conspiracy theory appeal maybe it is we kind of alluded the suppliers that you tend to work with eventually become the preferred suppliers anyway so a lot of the flights definitely cruises certainly and more and more hotels and absolutely more and more travel activities so the attractions or the things that you do whilst you're in 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 destination they rely upon revenue management so like a on-demand pricing best available rate, that kind of thing, which is, like I said, no human being can have the calculative power, the, the, the computing power to just 
pound through the numbers to see what the most popular time of day is to actually book book this trip. So it's and it's not really based on as much how many people are looking at a product because it's almost impossible for those revenue management programs to pull the data from all the distribution channels. So again, I don't want to name names, but if you've got the hotel room and you're you're offering it for sale on your own website. Um, because you own the hotel and then you're also selling it on a number of aggregate websites and you're also selling it through your contracted rates and you're also selling it through travel advisors. So you've got a number of different types of distribution channel, but also in between those different types of distribution channel, you've got like dozens and dozens of different aggregate websites and shopping and comparison sites. They're not all, even if they're feeding that quote unquote live data back, the lag between it, the number of people shopping it at a time, whatever, it's just this myth perpetuates somehow and that people think they're getting the, like I said, the best, the best rates if they shop at a certain time. But I don't, I don't know how this, um, don't know how this, don't know how this happens. <laughs> sure. Well, that's a good one. Thank you for that. Shai, where can people find you online? Where would you like to send them? Yeah. So the easiest place, I think a little bit of a mouthful here. I should have thought about it more when naming the business, odysseantravel.com. I think I mentioned at the beginning, that's the adventure starts. You get to figure out how you want to pronounce this Odyssean, Odyssean. That's uh, O-D-Y-S-S-E-A-N, travel oneword.com. Great. We'll link to that in the show notes. That's fantastic. Shai, thanks for joining today. A lot of great insights into the world of travel advisors, and I appreciate it. Yeah, thanks Thanks for taking the time to, uh, to chat with me. I hope you have enjoyed our conversation today. Remember, there will be show notes and links. You can find links to show notes from our Twitter page. Our Twitter handle is Safe Travels FM. I have a small favor to ask. This is a new show, and so far feedback has been great, but we could use a good boost. There are a lot of ways that you can help. You can subscribe on your favorite podcast player app. You can rate us on the Apple Podcast app. You can share it with friends. You can share it to social media. All of these things would help. I would really appreciate it. Thanks again. Safe travels. <laughs>